Hello and welcome to another episode of African Joe Paddy. My name is Ife and I'm recording from Creel in Scotland. Hi, hi everyone uh, and welcome. Uh, my name is Dihia and I'm the co-host of African Joe Party and I'm recording from Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. Today, we're going to be talking about Amadurinchi and the security of the African child. And we have an amazing scholar to discuss the topic with us today. Yes, today we have, we are honored and humbled to receive Dr. Uh, Hafiza Ker Abdurrahman. Uh, she's a lecturer in inclusive education at Bishop uh, Grosses, uh, Gros, sorry about the uh, Grosset, Gross Test, sorry, University in, Link in Lincoln in the UK. She has a PhD in education and she um, researches the uh, Almajiranchi system of education in Northern Nigeria. Uh, she's also an advocate for its practitioners. Um, she has researched around issues of education and identity and their constructions in different contexts, especially in the ways that they intersect with other societal structures. She's interested in the ways uh, that colonial shape, uh, coloniality or colonialism shapes the narratives regarding education in post-colonial societies and especially how it affects who we all are as people and how uh, we come to know the things we know. She's very passionate about Africa and Nigeria um, in general or in particular, I should say, in this context. I'm really happy to have you here with us, um, Dr. Uh, Ker Abdurrahman. Thank you so much for having me here today. Thank you so much for being with us. And so to kick off, um, the first question I'd like to ask is, what is the Amadurinchi system of education? The Almadrenchi system of education of Northern Nigeria is actually a system of Quranic schooling. Uh -huh. This is a system that has been in existence since about the 14th century. So it's been, it's as old as Islam has been in Northern Nigeria. Um, this system of education is not only peculiar to Northern Nigeria, it can be found across all of Muslim West Africa. So if you went to somewhere like Senegal or Mali, you'd find an equivalent version and they are called the Talibis in, in Senegal and in Mali. What makes this particular form of schooling and socialization interesting is um, these young boys, often sometimes as young as seven, are sent off from home to live with a teacher called Amalem. And they would live with him, um, apprentice for knowledge. And usually the sole text of, that they learn is the Quran. So that's what makes it particularly interesting. The fact that they are sent away from home to live with a teacher throughout the duration of their studies. They tend to go home maybe once a year. In Nigeria, what makes it a subject of great debate and curiosity is the fact, is the sheer number. So there's an estimated 7 to 10 million boys in the system in, in Northern Nigeria. And it's also what it has become. It's, um, it comes with a huge social issue, mainly because you see these boys who have been sent away from home ending up on the streets, often having to beg for sustenance. That's what makes it particularly interesting in Nigeria. Hmm. It is, it is, it really reminds, like your definition reminds me of my grandfather, actually, um, during the, French, uh, my grandfather in Algeria, like during the French, um, I would say, ruling of Algeria, he learned 
uh, that way, like in a Quranic school, um, it's basically the description that you said that the only difference is the begging um, because they were mainly farmers, but the, um, it, it just tells me that it might be much wide, more widespread than West Africa actually. Yeah, and, and the boys didn't always used to beg, actually. This begging is a new feature of al Majrenchi. I think it corresponded with um, our change in society. So things like structural adjustment programs, just life becoming very hard. So before the whole community would look out for the boys, now that has changed and it has resulted in the teacher not being able to look out for the boys, the society, the community not being able to look out for the boys, and then the boys ending up in, on the streets begging. So begging is a new-ish feature of the okay. al system. So and I agree that it might have similarities with what exists in Algeria. The other question that I have is basically like this, um, I remember traveling to Senegal and people were criticizing the systems because they were saying that the teachers would send out the boys to beg and it's an institution, it has become an institution. Basically my question is that, is that actually true or is it because the teachers um, have been or society has isolated them in such a way that they have to find ways to survive is um, it survival then it's the same case in nigeria actually there is no one quite as maligned as the quranic school teacher well all the practitioners to be honest but especially the quranic school teacher and the parents people see them as the some um, exploitative figures um, mm -hmm. who exploit the boys because they are sending them out to beg so you're right in the sense that yeah people tend to see them that way but those who tend to see them that way are people like us yeah. people who are often western schooled who yeah. do not understand the system or why people do send their boys to these schools and who just do not cannot begin to even fathom this alternative way of being and and it it is such it is it's in such stark contrast to our modern ideals of childhood mm -hmm. so obviously it's a huge social issue for many of us because we can't understand it so yes you're correct why why do parents like i'm uh, uh, i i'm suspecting why but i would really like for me to confirm that or maybe for our audience to actually understand why do parents send their children to those um a lot of it well first of all it's very old second of all i don't know if you know anything that this schooling system is a particular it's not just about education it's also a socialization system and the knowledge system is such that it's starkly different it's knowledge to inform knowledge to form and knowledge to transform so the kind of knowing here is deeply tied to relational praxis is to, to sorry to devotional praxis you are seen to know when you embody the quran so for them it's about a particular form of muslim subjectivity you're not just sending your child to a malam to learn the quran you're mm -hmm. sending your child to a malam as um, this transmitter of knowledge as this particular form of Muslim subject that you want your child to aspire to. So it's, it's these boys are apprenticing in knowledge, is about a vertical relationship with God and is also about a horizontal relationship with their teacher. So it's, it, in many ways, is a deeply relational form of education. It's also deeply personalized in a way that the schooling system, which we're used to, the Western form, isn't. So we all go to school. We don't particularly know who is going to turn up 
at the mm -hmm. start of the year to teach us chemistry or biology. We're not really even trying to be like him. We just want him to teach us and for us to go. For them, it's different. You send your child to a malam that you have researched, that you admire, that has links to your religious background. Maybe he taught your father or your grandfather. So it's deeper than that. It's knowledge as we don't tend to understand it. So I, I was going to ask the question actually um, about whether what alternatives are out there, but I understand that it's it's a matter, it's a cultural matter. It is not about the lack of alternative schooling systems. Um, is am I understanding this right? It's really a matter of how they perceive their perception of knowledge, basically, like knowledge seeking and knowledge and, and um, society and education and cultures, as opposed to there are no other types of schools, so they have to do that. There are other types of schools. Mm -hmm. Um, because we do have the Western school, the public yeah. school system, but oftentimes they're not suitable, they're not affordable, and they're not available. So there are, but not within their vicinity. Okay. And we, we do know that with this kind of schools, there's often an opportunity cost. Maybe the schooling day or the way that the schooling day is structured does not allow them to do other things, does not allow them to maybe go to farm or to be useful in other ways. We all know that in many African societies, parents do not work for their children to hop and play around. It's just not the way that village life is organized in that way. Everyone takes part. Our, I, and in the past, people from Northern Nigeria, Muslim parents from Northern Nigeria had an aversion to Western schooling mainly because Western schooling came to Northern Nigeria through proselytizer mission schools. Mm -hmm. So when you send your child to a Western school, the chances are that he would come back a Christian. And even if he didn't come back a Christian, he might come back with values which are at odds with what you know. So if you send your child and he comes back refusing to speak the language because he's speaking English or refusing to do things that you've always done, you're afraid of losing your child to something that you don't know. So yes, there are still resistances, but mm -hmm. I don't think that's the whole story. The truth is that public or Western schooling in Nigeria is the preserve of the poor and the choiceless. Those of us who belong to a particular class will not send our children to those schools because they are no longer fit for purpose. So there's also that. And a lot of people cannot for their material reality for their today cannot see the benefit of Western schooling in that way. They cannot see, the, the, for them it's so long time to think, oh, so I'm going to send them to primary, to secondary, to university to get a certificate for a job he might not have. Mm -hmm. So these are their ways of thinking. They cannot see the benefits for their everyday because they haven't seen the benefits in their everyday life. They don't even have schools within their vicinity. They have to send their children away. And then to, to a school that they do not understand or they do not know or they do not particularly care about, they'd rather send to something that they've always known. That's really an interesting um, perspective that you've shared. And, and based on the things that you've said so far, it is obviously clear that this is something that we need in terms of, in the spirit of, sustaining the culture and tradition, the age-long tradition that's always existed. But at the same time, we recognize that there are risks based on some of the things that you've talked about. So there are some risks that these children, these young boys are exposed to. But I wondered if you can tell us some of those risks. Oh gosh. Um, differently to sort of, I guess, mitigate it. 
yeah where do i even start from so one of the things that well the major crux of my thesis was i looked at the ways that the system was represented so i looked at the discourses regarding it, surrounding it and i found three of those discourses one was that the um the knowledge system is old and retrograde and no longer fit for purpose the second is that the men that it produces or even the people involved in it end up um being either dysfunctional adults so, so they end up either as members of Boko Haram or, or thugs for hire or just a general nuisance to society, no good. And then the third one is of al as a child's right concern. Now, when I do these talks, I always say that the third one is perhaps the most accurate in, in this way, because children, young boys being on the streets in the name of anything is concerning. And we know that life on the street comes with a lot of danger. So for me, this is the one that is most accurate and the one that needs careful consideration. But then when you look at it in the, in the scheme of things, why are children on the streets of Northern Nigeria? Because this form of education has always fallen out of the purview of the state. It was never fully integrated. You and I, if we both know that we went to boarding schools where all our education was paid for, well, I went, I'm of a particular era, maybe you didn't, I'm a bit older. So I remember going to boarding school, all my education was paid for, I was fed. If this system had been integrated in some way, then these boys would not need to be on the streets because during my interviews, one of the things that I really realized was that, well, so in, in Hausa language, the word for begging is bara, but these people would never say we went for bara, they will tell you we went to look for food. And I kind of think if their needs were met in that way, then they would not be on the streets. So the major concern is them being on the streets and that is very easily addressed by a number of ways or through a number of ways. Hmm. That is extremely interesting, basically. So there's a clear solution to it. It's a matter of sustenance and it's a matter of survival. It's not a matter of profiteering. I would, from my understanding, from um, what I got. Um, and so what, going back to- It's also a matter of what we consider to be valuable and valid knowledge. Remember, we don't think it's ideal for the modern Nigerian citizenry. So people are not invested in it. People cannot see what it's good for. Like um, these discourses are not closed either. We live in the post 9-11 um, world when Islam can't be seen as a radicalizing influence. So seeing young boys sitting and rocking to read in the Quran is often disturbing for many. And that's why there's always a link made with Boko Haram. There's always that question of what does it allow them to become? Will they become doctors? So again, time and time again, judging al Jiranchi's system on Western ideals that it does not recognize. When I went for my interview, I remember asking them, so. Did you not miss anything by going? And I would ask again and again because I too could not understand. And these men would look at me and smile. And they had this immense sense of self and contentment and they were all gainfully employed. So there is the informal sector in Nigeria. We all know that there has always been an informal sector. And this informal sector has always been so good at absorbing all kinds of people. So they do have a place. And contrary to what people think, are there some of them who end up as Boko Haram and as malfunct or dysfunctional adults? I am sure every education system produces those. 
But is there a direct correlation between their schooling and terrorism? I haven't seen that link yet, not in an empirical way. And um, that's really a fascinating perspective to have. But at the same time, I'm going to sort of not necessarily be a bit controversial, but in the spirit of still talking about the risk and the fact that in Nigeria today, unfortunately, we know that we have high prevalence of, apart from the insurgency, but kidnapping. But the fact that these young boys, I mean, just the other week, how many boys were kidnapped from their school? That but, was a Western school, though. Yeah. So, yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> just, I know, I know. Sorry. I'm I hear listening. you. I know. No, I hear you. But I'm just trying to bring, you know, the narrative around kidnapping people yeah. and potentially using them as re recruit. The fact that these boys are on the streets opens them to that risk of, you know, someone enticing them with some money or something and then oh, yeah. giving them life, on the, life on the streets them is to that risk. But isn't that a shared risk with the other schools as well? That's my question. It's, like, a shared, it's a shared risk for every Nigerian, sadly. But obviously, being on the streets is a particular vulnerability that it exposes them to. And that is why, for me, I think this issue is so pertinent and it needs to be addressed. So I, I agree with you in that I sense that... Sorry. Sorry about know. that. Go ahead. I was just saying I agree with you, Faye, that um, them being on the streets is a particular vulnerability that makes it really disturbing. And it is, to be honest, if you, the first page of my thesis starts with saying these images of boys on the street is what attracts a lot of researchers to the field. It's what attracted me to it. And I'm a northern Nigerian. I grew up alongside it. But each time I went home, I would see more boys on the streets. That's not a way to live. But then researching it exposed me to another possibility. We can take them off the streets. We can. So why are we not doing that? I have another question for you um, that is actually linked to that. And it's controversial, just following up on it. <laughs> I'm all right. I'm um, all right with controversy. No, it's actually like, <laughs> like, it's like pulling on both directions, actually, with regards to, um, uh, because you, you said this system is actually something that's cultural that has been around for hundreds of years. Yeah. Right? So just, just following up on that a little bit, we have something that we call here in, we had, thankfully had, it was in the past, residential schools which really when you would stroke me when you were talking about western western schools that were not really adapted to like the cultural context that were actually your you send your child in as a muslim he comes back as a as a christian and things like that really reminded me of the residential schools of canada where well kids were kidnapped in this like the indigenous people's yeah. kids were actually kidnapped put in those residential schools and brainwashed to become with westernized values in Canada in 2007 has or 2008 has apologized for that um, and that's when we began like the truth and reconciliation basically because we acknowledge that indigenous cultures are something that is basically been around for thousands of years um, and we are basically nobody to force their children into a way of being and a way of thinking that is not theirs uh, we perceived there in the past and when I say we I mean like really in the past when the residential schools were around uh, until the 1990s, I would say. That's as recent as that. Um, we perceived that as the way to go. Anything else was controversial, was not good because it was indigenous ways, indigenous cultures. So that's how I perceive it actually. It's a bit controversial because it's, it's minimizing the issue of residential schools, but it's basically really mimicking that. Sending as a parent within a certain cultural context, sending the kids to a school that's going to change the way your kid thinks and it's not necessarily adapted to your context is something that I see or that's I, I, at least as a parent I would see why it would be bothersome for these people. 
it is bothersome because I, even for even for us today, we're very careful about what school we to send our children to. We're really yes. careful. You'd go and find out what is up with the school. What do they do there? What are their values? So these are genuine fears. And um, yeah, so I can understand that. In many ways, I can relate. Now, the problem that Alma Junchi is facing is obviously um, it exists in a perfect storm of so many other things. Bad governance, failing education system, um, insecurity, um, so many other things and it's such a perfect storm so it's found itself quote the breakdown of northern nigerian society and family structures as we know it so it's found itself caught up in this weird milieu of different issues including those by post-colonialism so contempt arrogance so many other things so i feel like it's never simplistic to talk about alma Genchi because you don't even know what to focus on and mm -hmm. when you try to say let's step back and look at it holistically, like which is what I do when I say it's very complex. Can we add nuance to it? It's not simplistic. Sometimes I get accused of romanticizing the system, and I say no, I am not. What I am doing is being a loudspeaker. I am sharing ideas from the practitioners because they do not have. It's a power thing. They do not have the power to speak for themselves in northern Nigeria for enough for people to listen. Western education, it's one of the greatest um, creators of social difference in, in, North, in Nigeria as it stands today. Those who have it versus those who don't. You need Western schooling to access the, the, technique, to, to the perquisites of power, the techniques of power, the apparatus of power. So if you do not have it, how do you make a claim for this knowledge system, for this alternative form of knowing? I look at Alma Drenchi as an alternative form of knowing that should be preserved, at least on a buffet of choices. I'm not saying either or, because that would make me hypocritical, but allow it to be an option. Allow people to be able to choose because it's a credible option. To deny it credibility because you prefer one form, I think is the issue. I, I have a problem with the term allow because it's existed for hundreds of years. Yeah. Prior to the colonized system. So it's it's not even like allow something that has been there, that has been validated through cultural okay. systems to exist. Like that would be pretty, that term to me is like allow something that has been I there. know, but what else? <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe it's a word on my part. But the truth is that people who have been educated in this form of education are not seen as educated. They're actually called illiterates. And because they can't read in English and they can't write in English. Never because they cannot read in English and cannot, they're called illiterates. Okay, yeah, it. it's beginning to change. But they're actually, so the figures are those considered to be out of school. So the 7 to 10 million boys or whatever estimate exists is children out of school. So these schools are not even considered schools in Nigeria. That's, that's what we're talking about. The day something clicked for me, well, after my first interview, I came out and I went, wow, because I was blown away. And I say that every single time, because if me, who is a Northern Nigerian, who has always lived with this culture, can still interview them and come out blown away, what are we missing? And then on the very, during one of my interviews, one of the men came 
and he came, he, he, he's, he's a trader in the market. So he brought evidence to show me that he's really a trader. He, he, he's learned the Quran, he teaches children the Quran, but he's also a trader, he's a successful trader. And then on the third day of the interview, he came with manuscripts. This man, his name is Malam Mustafa, is writing the whole Quran from memory. Do you hear you're a Muslim? So yes. you might not understand what it means to write the whole Quran from memory. Wow. Exactly. <laughs> so I, I sit back in awe and I'm like, wow. And here I am with my Western education thinking I am somehow more knowledgeable than you. For me, it was the arrogance of that way of thinking. So like I said, it's for me, it's about valid and valued knowledge and what we consider knowledge to be. And, and this clash, so it's a clash almost of, of, of civilization or what we think is valid and valuable. It's a matter of perception as well. Like when you come from a westernized or a western society, western system of schooling and perceive this as illiteracy, um, the fact that there are, how many languages are out there in Nigeria? Like 300? Am I? <laughs> if you <Yes>. have any. <laughs> <laughs> a language is a language whether we call it an official formal language is a language it's something that people use to communicate so it's well officially we have people outside Yoruba that's why I asked but <laughs> we have over 300 not even the dialects at least I don't know how these are my we have so many honestly yeah. so many languages yeah. yes so diminishing that that richness to do you know English no then you're not do you know how to write English no then you, that's basically the perception of a very much biased perception like whether or not one agrees that an Islamic school um, in this in Al Majorenji uh, school basically is something that is valid. It's really beyond that. It's a matter of decolonizing our minds and our ways of thinking towards not acceptance because accepting is another like it's like allowing. It's I cannot even find a term for that. Like <laughs> we are who are we? And I can when I say we like Westernized societies. Who are we to allow or to accept? Basically, it's something. We have to, makes it, yeah. yeah, we have to address the issues that are associated with it that are like, as you mentioned, like the security risks to the children that are out in the streets begging. And that could be addressed, as you said, very easily. But judging whether we accept it or whether we allow it, that's something that's completely different. I think no, one of the things... Oh, no, go ahead, Ife. Oh, no, I wanted to say that, but I don't know, I don't want to lose your sort of chain of thought. Oh, so no, no, don't worry. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> oh, okay, great. So I just wanted to say that it is very fascinating that you actually, you know, at the beginning of this conversation, you linked the current situation, or do I say the corruption of the Amadurinshi system in, in Nigeria to the structural adjustment program. And so even though this is not currently the, the topic we're talking about today, this is obviously something we're going to talk about another time, but linking aid and seeing how destructive aid can be and counterproductive to the socioeconomic development of, of a society and then by extension have resulted in something now that not only undermines the security of Nigeria, but also directly the human rights of these people, these boys on the street because of the fact that they are there. But now bringing it back to the conversation we're having, I know that based on your research, obviously you identify that there are potential ways, there are potential solutions to obviously 
sustaining this culture, but at the same time, taking this voice of the street, that is in relation to the begging aspect of it. So I wonder if you can share with us what you propose as this practical solution, because you never know, the president of Nigeria, Mohammed Buhari, might be listening to us. <laughs> can he, let, me, let me behave myself. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> let me just, um, back to the, quickly, back to the structural adjustment programs. You know I'm interested in coloniality. So um, not only do I look at coloniality of knowledge and coloniality of being, which is really about decolonizing the mind of also decolonizing our knowledge systems. I'm also interested in the coloniality of power. And this has to do with the global matrix of power. Those who have the power to say you have to restructure your economy and you have to do, 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 do this and that. And the long term effects of that. So structural adjustment programs from the 80s are only just beginning to come to for how many years later? Like we're still beholden we're still trapped by the things that we can and cannot do. And then you said, what can we do? What can we do to make a difference? I always say, those of us who the, do the talking, first of all, need to recognize our positionality. I honestly do not even believe that we can begin to prefer solutions without a bit of humility. And that's one, it's not a, it's not a particularly... Um, nice thing people want to hear because when I talk, people get discomforted. It, it creates moments of discomfiture. People don't like being told to look at yourselves in the mirror. Where can we? So we sit in judgment at the choices that people have had to make. I say that with the greatest humility. Maybe if I hadn't been to Western school, maybe if I wasn't born in the elite group that I was born in, maybe if I was a poor villager in the village, I would be sending my child to Almagerinci. I do not know that. Does that mean I don't love my child? I also do not think it's for us to say because a lot of that time we look at this parent as feckless, as irresponsible, as throwing their children away, as blah, 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 blah. We look at them through our superior Western school gazes and we mm -hmm. cast judgment. That for me, therein is the problem. We cannot prefer solution from a place of arrogance and contempt. So in my research, I came up with what I call the RER. Respect, you start from a place of respect and basic humility. You go in with an open mind. Engage, always, always work with the knowledge from within. These people are not stupid. They know exactly what they want. Ask them the kind of reform and help that they need. And then reform. So what I am basically saying is we've tried top-down solutions before. Yeah, let's go from the bottom up. Let's work with the knowledge from within. That's a starting point. There are so many things that have been done before. So there was this SPIN project with DFID and that was really good. It just basically involved again, working with the people. But also like a lot of the reform projects here tries to cut away the malum, yeah? They try, because they look at this malum as a malign, as a, as a wicked figure, as this Dickensian figure. So they try to do away with the malum. And one of the things my research found was this deeply relational nature of the Almagerinci system. Almagiri parents do not so much as send their child to a school as much as they are sending to a malum. So if like Jonathan, you decide to build all these beautiful grand buildings and call them Almagiri schools, and then you look so Jonathan is our former president, bless him. At least he tried, he tried to do something. I cannot take that away from him. But you, it was ill-advised is what I'm saying because these schools are lying empty. 
the schools are lying empty because parents are not going to send their child to a school for anyone to just teach. Remember how I said they're sending their child to a malam? Mm -hmm. That is how I know that any reform process must involve the malam. So long as that malam is a particular Muslim, is a particular form of Muslim subjectivity that these rural parents still aspire to, you need to work with them for reform. Sensitization, sensitization, sensitization. I don't think these parents truly understand the horrific nature of life on the streets for these boys. Another thing I have recently said is we need to bring gender back into it. Al-Majonchi is high, mainly dominated by men. So young boys being sent to Malams and we hardly ever see women. I also made the mistake of invisibilizing women in my research. And then I came to the end, I'm like, drat, I've done this and that everyone else does. I have to know, coming from Northern Nigeria, I should know enough that I need to tease out the women. Women as mothers of young Almajere, women as wife of the, wives of the teachers, women as those who look out for those boys in the towns. My mother was what you call an uwardaki. A what, you, sorry? An uwardaki. So an uwardaki is like a mother of a room. What it means is someone who would look out for the young boy that has been sent for Almajerenchi. So my mother's young Almajeri has gone off to Western school. He was one of my research participants. Even before my last seminar, I spoke to him an Uwaraki can make a crucial difference. Most, many Al-Majira will tell you that even on the streets, women are more compassionate. How do we leverage women as soft power in this reform moves? We need to recenter women as, again. It's basically one of the other things I'm saying. I'm done. <laughs> this is really an impressive, impressive recommendation. And, and I can see how, I don't wanna say easily, but how true this is in all spheres of, I don't want to say, or again, all spheres of life, but in terms of, I can say at least in my own research that we are seeing that the bottom of isn't working. Top bottom or the in integration, you know, the, the bottom coming to work with the top and both of them working collectively and asking the people is actually a very pertinent response yeah. because nobody knows the solution to a problem than the people that are facing that problem. So and, and you, you might even think that so when i came up with the rer approach it's not it's not rocket science it just requires a rethinking and a humility that i find that people like me when i say people like me western school nigerian elite people like me lack we feel like we know everything we feel like we have an answer to everything sometimes just saying ah oh, i need to just listen more i need to be less judgmental this is not what i would choose for my child but this is what they have chosen. I do not understand it. I do not even like it, but I need to understand why they have done that. These are people trying to make do in a country that has given them so little. In a country where we have a venal ruling elite, a parasitic predator class, according to Hansen. And then we turn around and we say, why do you send your child to this school? Have you given me an alternative? Do you even know of the existence of my child? Have you provided for that child now or the future? I'm trying to give my child chances because in this village, there are no chances. If he stays here, um, what is it called? Desertification and, and um, failed crops and everything would mean that we will all starve to death. I have 10 children, at least let me send two away. Maybe they might have a better chance. Those are the realities. So besides that, 
And if I'm going to send my child away, how better than to give him something that would serve him from now and serve him for the hereafter? Because we are all people of faith. We know that now is deeply tied to the hereafter. Some people might not understand that, but for people of faith, it's so important. Our every existence is tied to the hereafter. Which brings me to another question that I get asked very, very much here. Um, it's another controversial question. I don't think of it myself, obviously, but it's something that the audience might think about. Um, and so I'm asking it for them and I hope they appreciate that. Um, <laughs> you know, here there is this question of like the freedom of the child to make their own choices in terms of religion. Yeah. Uh, and it's something that often comes back that people often hear actually ask me in a very judgmental manner, I would say. And that's a question that I will ask without those judgments because I'm, you know, I'm a person of faith as well. And so basically how, what would you tell the people of the audience that might think in such a way that, you know, you're depriving your, your child from the choice, um, from their, you know, um, religious choices, basically, by sending them to an Islamic school? That's a difficult one. It's a difficult one because I do not know how to answer. I don't know if you're wanting me to answer it as a person of faith or as someone who has to, I don't know. So I, I, that's a difficult one because I think every parent wants the best for their child. Yes. And what we consider to be the best is deeply connected to our conditioning. It's con connected to the things that we value. All of us as people of faith really believe in the faith that we have chosen. We really do think that it's the best thing. So how would you not want your child to want that, if that makes sense? It does to me, obviously. I'm biased there, so I'm asking the question. So that, I don't know how else I would answer that. Yeah. Like every person I know, maybe faith is this thing that a lot of people cannot connect with. Yes. But if you cannot connect with that, think along the lines of the things that you value. If you're a vegetarian, you would give your child vegetarian food. Yes. Because that's what, that's what it would exist in your house. Yes, it's, if, it's, I'm just bringing it down to the things that people value. If exactly. you are someone who goes for protest match and all that, you will take your child along with you. If I'm a Muslim, it will make sense for me to take my child to the mosque because I want my child to be that way because I really value it. So the you question of like, uh, the question of, oh, I'm a Muslim, but I'm going to, personally, actually, the funny thing, I'm a Muslim and I sent my children to a Christian school down the road, but because... I saw values that I liked. I could see connections between those Christian values and my Muslim values. So it depends on what you're looking for in a school. Like my, my children's Christian school knew, almost they knew their limit in the sense that I've brought my children for these values. It doesn't mean I want my children being indoctrinated into something that I don't understand. So that was understandable. So whether to say the question of choice, when the child gets to 18, I suppose they can make the choice they want. But once that child is a child, your ch job as a parent is to guide them in the way that you think is right. True. Yeah. That's something that often comes back and something that I always say, like basically that we perceive our, like we, we judge others' choices uh, based on our own perception of those choices. So basically okay. right, raising your child with the, the perception of choice as a not as a person, what would you like as a, as a not person of faith, I would say, um, it's still a choice of a certain way of life that you are guiding your child towards. Basically, that's how I see it. And so, 
to me, it's like you, you put in a lot of arguments in this and it, it didn't need to be justified basically, like the, the, the lack of alternatives, the cultural way of being, the, uh, the faith uh, matter, the fact that children had to basically work as part of, you know, the culture and they have to learn like how to act in society and things like that. I think that in, and the respect of Malams, like you said, Malams, we call them Muallims. It's, it's an Arabic Yeah. 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 And even um, Al-Mahajirun, she comes from Al-Mahajirun. Al-Mahajirun, yeah, like the yeah. immigrants. So, so the immigrants, so those who go for knowledge and search of knowledge. Yeah. That's the, the origin of the word. And so how's actually, that, how's that my, the language, the predominant language in northern Nigeria draws a lot from Arabic? Huh. Yeah, a lot of the words are Arabic. My middle name is Talatu, but that's because I was born on a Tuesday. So Talata. Talatu Lata, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so yeah, yeah. actually. It, I have another question that actually brings me back to Al-Muhajirun, Al-Muhajirun, so the immigrants. How do parents, how, you know, as a mom, as a mother, I would only imagine that it would be very difficult for me to send my child away. Yeah. Um, is there a sentiment of pride or a sentiment of sadness or, you know, how, how is it? Like I'm talking as a parent, as opposed to as a scholar or researcher. See, that's why I said we need to bring women back into, to, into the reform. Yeah. I'm, I'm speaking from, from two, two perspectives here, because honestly, one of the things I've found is those who fathers do the sending. I have a feeling that with enough sensitization, if women were brought into these decision-making processes, maybe the boys would try and there, there would be change so women don't no mother is going to want to see her son being sent away for long periods of time not knowing how he's faring it's not a nice process but what one of the things i also picked up was before things tend to became too hard these parents who send care packages to their children they would send money they would send dried food stuff especially mothers so mothers don't like to see their children being sent away. Like I said, Northern Nigerian society has also kind of frayed, the fabric of it has frayed. So if you have a man who has many wives, maybe he has sent some of the mothers away. If your mother is not in the house, it's sometimes easy for you to get sent away because there's no one advocating or speaking for you. So I suppose what I'm trying to convey to you today is the complex nature of Almajirenshi, that we cannot reduce it to one thing that it's so deeply nuanced. And that's what makes it pertinent that we listen with humility and without judgment and, and kind of look at ourselves in the mirror. I also say that if you take away young Almajiri boys from the streets of Northern Nigeria, there'll still be many beggars on the streets of Northern Nigeria. And that tells me only one thing. It shows me a society that is deeply unequal mm. and that needs social issues addressing. Mm -hmm. So you can, we can't blame Alma Gentry for everything that is wrong with Nigeria, including terrorism. Why do we have those people? It's a failure in governance. It's this, why are we more concerned with people who kidnap human beings or steal humans than those who steal billions and our future with a pen? Yeah. Why does one bother us more than the other? Mm -hmm. So it's, my job is just to say, look, maybe us, Northern Nigeria or Nigerian educated elite are just as responsible in the state of Nigeria as those who have been forced to react to bad governance in, in, in different callous ways. I'm not excusing that. I'm just saying, can we step a, take a step back and have a look at the bigger picture? Where is this coming from?
And that is a very good standpoint to have and, and really a realistic perspective to present in terms of, you know, moving forward. Because what happens, supposing that the Nigerian government or the Nigerian president tomorrow decides, okay, we're going to, we are going to work with these people to bring about a reform. What happens once they leave the street? You know, how do you ensure that they have sustainable opportunities to, you know, provide for themselves and their families? So the need for socioeconomic support, which unfortunately inequality, especially not only in Northern Nigeria, but I would Everywhere. say Nigeria is quite high, which obviously speaks to the problem being beyond just, you know, telling the people that are responsible for the system to you know ensure that the kids are not on the street begging i just want to thank you so very much for really compelling evidence field exciting conversation you know i have really i have not only learned from this but i have also enjoyed listening to everything you said so thank, thank you thank you so much thanks for having me you have changed you have changed some stereotypes in my head i would say <laughs> thank you that's, that's 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 my job i'm just a I, i'm a, just a bloody microphone i just wish to <laughs> that's all i am i just wish to men so most times i'm not even speaking my feelings i'm just sharing what they've shared with me which was really mind blowing and i keep saying it was mind blowing for me who is a northern nigerian i have and i have always known almajon yet i was blown away because i entered with an open mind if we can all have an open mind, yeah, begging, awful. If I could stop it today, I will stop it today. But the system did not get here in a day. So we can't wave a magic wand. And mm -hmm. we can't remove it from the wider Nigerian problematic within which it subsists. And that's a very good note to end. I wonder if you have any final word for our audience before we say our goodbyes. Oh, just thanks for listening. And um, if you're a Nigerian and you're wondering what to do, adopt an Almaji. Just make sure that he's fine. And don't, not everything do you do, do you, does it require you taking a picture and sharing it online mm. and asking the child what is your name and all that because that feeds into images of representation as well. Mm. So keep an open mind. Treat them as human beings. They're human beings who also want the same things that you do. A good life. Absolutely. And, and that is a very good note to end. It doesn't even actually have to be a Marjorie's, but this everyone exactly. giving, giving arms to people and then taking pictures. It's, it's just, you know, a different <laughs> subject anyways. But since this, is, since this is our January episode, I guess it would be a good note to say, like, welcome to 2021 to everyone. May this year be a blessing to you. May your your good heart desires be achieved. And hopefully this will be the year that perhaps that there is going to be a true reform and support system for the Amadurinchi education system in Nigeria and West Africa. Amen to that. And bismillah, in the name of Allah, I pray it happens. Amen. Inshallah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. You guys are brilliant. Thank you so much. Thank you.